Hello, and welcome back to the Talk Nats podcast. Uh, my name is Kevin Nibley, and as always, I'm joined by Brian King. How's it going? Uh, not too bad, not too bad. Uh, this this question carries more weight this episode than it ever has before, but uh, what are you drinking tonight? I am drinking sake tonight. <laughs> we uh, use some for cooking dinner, and so, you know, what are you going to do with the rest of that bottle? You're going to drink it, right? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Having a little Corona light here. It's a summer. Got to gotta keep the beach bod. Got to get that 99 oh, true, calorie yes. beer. <laughs> anyway, uh, so... We last left you about a month ago, around 500, and we've had a pretty bad month. Uh, probably one of the worst months uh, we've ever had as Nats fans, uh, although the team has started to show some signs of life. Uh, Brian, what's your take? You know, it's interesting. Up until about, I don't know, we're recording this on uh, May 29th after the the Nationals just beat the Braves 14-4, to so up until about, you know, Four hours ago, I was like, oh, no, the season's over, and it's, yeah. it's terrible, and it's amazing how much one game will kind of slightly tint your, your outlook, and now if you squint hard enough, you can maybe see signs of a turnaround, maybe? Yeah, yeah. And you figure if they could just get that bullpen figured out, yeah, they, you know, I was reading uh, something the other day online that said, you know, the Nats just had like a, a league average bullpen. We would be like three games over 500 and right in the thick of the NL East race. And sure. all of us would be, I'm sure we'd be bitching about something, but <laughs> it'd be a much different outlook. So you're like, man, if our bullpen was just average, it, it would be a completely different story for this season. The thing that, that gets me and not to kick a guy while he's down, but I mean, what if Trevor Rosenthal worked out? You know, where would this yeah. team be? I think we'd be right in the thick of the race. I don't think we'd be running away with the division, but we, we'd be right there slugging it out with the Phillies at the top. So It seems to me like the Dave Martinez era is really hard to get a read on it. You know, some days you think you're a break or two away, a player or two away. Other times you think you should totally scrap the whole thing and rebuild. But um, it, were you surprised he made it through the Mets series still with his job? No, I mean, I think Rizzo is a cautious GM as far as that's concerned and you know you don't want to get a bad rap as a team that just fires your manager constantly and you've already got a bad rap as being cheap not treating Dusty Baker the best lowballing Bud Black no I mean I was surprised I, I really thought that that four game sweep at the hands of the Mets was going to be it you know it's funny on on the uh, website uh, talk Nats we had like a poll going where it wasn't even that he was going to get fired. I mean, people had to pick times, you know. Was, I, I think I had like 10 p.m. at night. Some other guys had 7. You know, some people had 8 a.m. the next day. I mean, it just seemed kind of a foregone conclusion. But what's interesting is Davey wasn't fired, and the team, as we record this, has won 5 out of 6 and starting to look pretty good. Yeah. Now, of course, by the time this airs in a couple of days, <laughs> uh, who knows, you know, you start yeah. dropping some more series. But the team's starting to right the ship a bit. It's just a question of, is it too little too late? Anyway, uh, we are brought to you, as always, by Jordan Stewart of Keller Williams Real Estate and Next Move Network. And as always, follow us on Twitter, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, TuneIn, wherever you got your podcast. Um, but right now, we're going to be joined by the recently retired former Nats reliever, Sean Burnett. Sean, thanks a lot for taking the time, and congrats on your retirement. Oh, thank you. I'm uh, glad to be here. And, you know, we're looking forward to what the next chapter holds. After 19 years in baseball, uh, you know, you've been retired for about a day or so now. Uh, how, how's it feeling? No, that's different. It's baseball season. I know it's you know, usually that's where I'd be, but that's a new chapter. Going to be hanging out with the family much more, getting to see the sporting events, and it means a lot to be in the stands with for the kids and when they look up to uh, to see me. So I've been gone for so long, and they've sacrificed so much that. Uh, 
ready to be dad and uh, watching baseball and gymnastics. So do you have any immediate plans for life after baseball, or are you going to take a bit of time off? Yeah, we'll take some time off and uh, you know sit down with the family. Obviously, I, you know, the love for baseball is still there, so I can find a way to you know stay keeping the game. And uh, you know I feel like I have a bunch of knowledge I could pass down to a lot of kids you know, in the minor leagues. So we'll see. But for right now, we're just going to hang out with the family and, you know, like I said, enjoy them. Now, you wrote a beautiful letter uh, announcing your retirement, and uh, you seem to really love playing in front of the Nats fans. Um, I know our listeners definitely loved having you. Uh, what memories stand out to you the most uh, from your time with the Nats? I think just, you know, was, you know being a, my, I got traded there. That was my first trade ever. I kind of learned the business of baseball with the trade. So going to a new city, obviously I was, you know, drafted by the Pirates and with them so long, it was, you know, a different feeling to show up in the middle of the game. I think the first game I played there was I had to fly overnight to Miami. I think I showed up in the first or second inning. So mm-hmm. to meet all new guys, you know, most of the guys in Pittsburgh I came up with are, are new for a while. So it was different to get traded over there, meet some new guys, but to, to see how quick the organization changed. You know, obviously when you land, you know, Strasburg and Harper, you know, things change quickly. But to see some of the free agents they brought in, like Jason Worth, and to see the way the organization changed so fast was pretty neat to be a part of. What was it like, uh, your first trade? I don't know if you've seen the movie Moneyball. Is it just like that? They basically just give you someone's number and you're you're on a plane? Actually, my brother kind of texted me saying he heard I got traded over the internet. I didn't really know. <laughs> I told him I was sitting in the clubhouse still. So about an hour later, they called me in. The GM called me to the manager's office and sat down and told me I was traded with Niger to Washington. And kind of how I had to be there tomorrow. So. Wow. I think me and Niger showed up in the second or third inning of that ball game. You know, walked into an empty clubhouse because the game already started, and just a jersey hanging up in a locker. So, you know, put the jersey on, went out there, and I think I ended up pitching two or three innings later. To be honest with you. <laughs> so, how did you come up with "White Snake" as an entrance song? Uh, my agent put together years ago, and during my rehab from one of my surgeries, he put together a uh, a rehab CD for me to play <laughs> when I was working out. So, that happened to be one of the songs, and I told him I loved it. So, if I ever made it back from the surgery and it can make a career out of you know, being a reliever where they play music for you. I'd come out to that song. Now, that 2012 Nats team um, is probably every Nats fan's favorite team, or, or mine at least. Um, take me through that season. What was it like? It was incredible the whole, from the get-go. I think when we, uh, Davey Johnson walked in that you know, first day of spring training and told us we were going to the playoffs, we kind of looked around and weren't too sure. But <laughs> he was so confident in the ability that we had in the clubhouse. And a big part of it, obviously, was the Jason Worth coming over. And the, you know, him changing the uh, the culture of the clubhouse, the way we went about our business, everything from food in the clubhouse to travel. You know, he really changed the organization and made us you know be more accountable. Yeah, you've, you mentioned Jason Worth a couple times. Uh, I know it's been publicized, but as someone actually on the team, you feel like he came in and totally changed the culture. Yeah, to see what it was like before he got there and what it's like after, and how quickly it changed. And obviously, you know, there were some good draft picks and, and guys they brought in also to to, to help the talent wise. But to see what Jason did for the organization firsthand. And what he did for the you know, teammates was uh, definitely a big, a big reason why the team and the organization changed so quickly. So I think that season started with Miami and Philly as the division favorites. Imagine that. Did you guys go into that season thinking you could win 98 games and do what you did? Well, I mean, to be honest with you, it was a little bit of fantasy. But like I said, I think Davey spoke with such confidence. And then the way we started playing, we got off to such a hot start. Mm-hmm. We kind of started believing it. And I think it just snowballed from there. But, you know, like I said, from day one, Davey believed in us and, did we know we could win 90, 90 plus ball games? Probably not, but we knew we could compete. We had a good enough team. But I think his belief in us and you know the the talent we we got on the team 
it was a shock to us all, but we all enjoyed it. It kind of made us believe what Davey was saying in spring training. I know he uh, embraced analytics uh, a little bit before some other people did. Um, as a relief pitcher, how did you like uh, his management of the bullpen? How did you like playing for him? I love Davey. Obviously, I grew up a diehard Mets fan, so Davey Johnson was like a hero to me from my 86 Mets. Sure. But, uh, no, it was pretty cool in that aspect to play for Davey because, you know, growing up, my favorite guys were Daryl Strawberry and stuff. So to share a manager with your idol was pretty cool, but... He sat down and told me a bunch of stories about the good old Met days, but uh, <laughs> I thought he was great. I thought he had a lot of respect for the bullpen, and he mentioned to us a bunch that he never wanted to get one of us hurt. So I feel like he used all seven, eight guys down there every given night where he just didn't wear out three guys. There's a lot of talk these days around bullpen usage and overusing relievers, warming them up, getting them up and down, et cetera, et cetera. So we wanted to know how important is that actually to your performance? Most of the good managers and coaches I played for come up to you every day, usually during stretch or when you're playing catch to see how your arm's feeling, if you're able to go that day. And the good ones, you know, if you need a day, they want you to be honest. Yeah. But I think, you know, like you said earlier, get, getting hot, getting loose and not getting the game, you know, a lot of times it gets forgot about. But if you get hot two or three days in a row, Mm-hmm. Don't get a game. It's almost the same as pitching too. So you're not fully rested. So good managers, good coaches. I played for. You know, obviously run a good bullpen. And that obviously helps make a good team. So a lot was made nationally of the Strasburg shutdown that season. Was it something that mattered in the clubhouse, or was that just a lot of hot air? I think it was a lot of hot air. Obviously, they were honest from the beginning with us. We kind of knew in spring training. Obviously, no one thought we were going to go to the playoffs, but you know there was yeah. there was hopes of it. But uh, we knew towards the end of the season, Strasburg would be shut down from the get go. So. I just don't think anybody realized we'd be in a playoff hunt at that time. And that's when it kind of got really, you know, blown up. But I think in the clubhouse, we all knew what was going to happen if we got that far. Some of us probably still haven't gotten over that game five against St. Louis. Is that something that stays uh, with you, the players as well? Or do you have to just force yourself to move on from a game like that? One of the, yeah, it's one of the toughest baseball games I've ever been a part of. You know, it was probably one of the first times professionally, you know, emotionally I was crushed for baseball. But, uh, it was tough. It was tough. It took a couple, you know, weeks. But obviously, it's baseball. You got to move on. Yeah. We all did our best, and you know, they all the Cardinals played a great series. So, you know, you tip your cap, but it was a great game. It was just you know, we ended up on the wrong end. So, it's something that stuck around for a little bit. But you know, you think about the good old days and and the, the rest of the season there in 2012, and you know, it's something we're all proud to look back on. Now we're almost out of time. Let our listeners know how they can keep up with you and social media, life after baseball, if if you want them to keep up with you. Yeah, I don't really have some social media, so I'll kind of I'm gonna lay low, and you know I'll be down here in South Florida helping out you know the younger kids and and my son's teams to to play some ball. But uh, you know the Nat Spring Training Complex is only about ten minutes down the road, so oh cool. Eventually, I can get a gig with them and stay stay in that. It'd be great. And of course, you know another uh, organization wants to give me an opportunity, but. Right now, I'm going to hang out with the family, but eventually I'll get back into baseball for sure. All right. Well, Sean, thanks so much. We really appreciate you taking the time with us. Um, and again, congrats on your retirement. Thank you very much. And thanks for having me. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Sean. All right. Uh, that was a little bit uh, from Sean Burnett. We really appreciate him uh, giving us the interview right after his retirement. Um, and definitely. Uh, Cool to hear about Jason Worth uh, really turning the franchise around. I guess that wasn't fiction. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting because what happens to coincide with the last two years when the Nats have kind of underperformed, perhaps that there's something lacking in the clubhouse. <coughs> like a scruffy beard and long hair. Uh, you might want to get that cough looked at. <laughs> um, anyway, as we mentioned before, we have a sponsor, Jordan Stewart of Keller Williams Real Estate and Next Move Network. Uh, he's recently helped Gerardo Parra, Matt Adams, Kyle Bearclaw, 
I mean, what's helped you? Uh, buying, selling, thinking of investment property? Turn to the guy the Nats players trust to get them home. Contact him at j.stewart at kw.com. That's j.stewart at kw.com. And uh, follow him on Instagram at nextmovejordan. He'll walk you through the process, and he will help you meet your goals. Uh, Brian, good real estate agent, pretty important. Yeah, I can tell you I'm going through uh, buying a house right now for the first time. And, yeah, having a good agent, super clutch. At first, I thought I could do it by myself because, hey, I'm a smart guy. I went to UVA. This can't be that hard, right? Totally hard. Definitely, (laughs) definitely hook yourself up with with someone that will help you through the process. Anyway, that brings us to a very popular segment, uh, The King's Court. All right, uh, hear ye, hear ye. We are in the King's Court. Um, First up on the royal docket, Nats fans, are they guilty or innocent of taking Steven Strasburg for granted? I unfortunately have to rule that the Nats fans have been guilty. I'm guilty. Is that what you want to hear? I know everyone thinks he is this fragile, delicate baby (laughs) who gets injured all the time and can't handle adversity. But this season, I think he's got second highest war uh, other than, than Scherzer. Mm-hmm. When you look at the body of work, Steven Strasburg is a, is definitely a frontline starter in this league. And you look at the whole debacle that went down with with Harper resigning, and now the the impasse over Rendon and yeah. Strasburg just quietly came and said, "I want to resign for a pretty decent team friendly deal," and he did it. And he doesn't cause a lot of drama. He just goes out there and pitches, and he's been really solid. And a season like this kind of makes you appreciate that a little bit more. Anyway, uh, next up on the royal docket, uh, Ryan Zimmerman, is he guilty or not guilty of holding the team back with his injuries? I think I'm going to have to go with a probationary period. <laughs> is that is that allowed? Can I do that? I'm going to have to find a sound effect for that, but sure, you're on. I'm on probation. I can't smoke too much. I can't smoke too much. Rolling through the streets. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's a little early to say one way or the other right now. I could envision a world where the team starts to turn things around. Ryan comes back around the All-Star break. He's fresh. He heats up in the summer like he usually does, and he tears things up for a couple of months and helps the team make a postseason push. I could also see him totally not coming back this year and having a (laughs) be-a-loss season, and you just wasted however many millions of dollars they're paying him. So... You know, I'm like, at least he had the courtesy to go on the DL so <laughs> they can fill his roster spot at least, I guess. Anyway, uh, that was the King's Court. Um, and right now we are joined by uh, Jamal Collier, Nats beat reporter for MLB.com. Jamal, thanks a lot for taking the time with us today. No problem. Thank you for having me. First off, uh, for our listeners who might not know, walk us through how you got started covering baseball and how you ended up at MLB.com on the Nats beat. Yeah, um, so I've been covering baseball for about five years. Um, I've been in MLB.com, I say, for about five years. Okay. And uh, this is my fourth season on the NASB. I started back in 2016. It was pretty much the start of the Dusty Baker era, mm-hmm. uh, the start and the end of the Dusty Baker era. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and now here we are in the middle of year two of Dave Martinez, and it's uh, certainly not boring. Even the most pessimistic Nats fans probably wouldn't have guessed the team would be hovering around 10 games under this early. Has this surprised you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
I saw some some issues that may come up here, and I thought that the division, um, you know, you might see Atlanta or Philly. I thought were probably a little bit better. At least one of those teams. I was I was pretty high on Atlanta, um, and I thought the Nats would kind of be fighting for a wild card spot. Mm-hmm. Wasn't too thrilled about what they were doing in the back row, in the rotation, but I thought that their bullpen would simply just be kind of bad. Yeah, I didn't think it would be on you know on fire for two months. <laughs> um, but I, I did look at, and I, was, I thought Rosenthal was going to work out. But I thought past Rosenthal and Doolittle, I didn't really see a whole lot of arms that I, I loved. But I, again, I, even in my wildest dreams, I never expected this team to fall as quickly as they did so fast. And you know, yeah. again, you, you, the weird thing about it is, if they, even if they had a, a simply a bad bullpen, it probably would be only somewhere around 500 right now, and not as, as kind of buried, um, you know, or just as far back as they are. In terms of the bullpen, I mean, it's been historically bad <laughs> um, yeah. so far. I mean, do you see a path where it could be turned around? I don't know. Um, the I have two schools of thought on this. On one hand. Man, a seven ERA two months into the season is almost somewhat flukish. Uh, and I think that there's a lot of blame to go around for it to be that high. This could have been a, a very bad bullpen with a six ERA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, things would be a whole lot different. On the other hand, there, it's kind of been two months. And I've been waiting for, okay, once this bullpen just simply goes back to being bad, not historically bad, then maybe <laughs> they, can, they can do something and it just hasn't happened. And this is, this is a little bit of, I think, criticism, I think, on the manager as well, that you know, once they get a guy who starts going well, um, they tend to pitch that guy into the ground. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and it, and it's, it's sort of out of necessity. Uh, it, it, it just kind of gets into a, a point where I think that's also why some of these DRAs are so inflated. A lot of these guys are pitched a lot. Yeah, and that they you know were pushed past where they should have been comfortable. Um, there have been a lot of mental errors, uh, poor base running, getting picked off, uh, some poor defensive play. Do you feel as if that's just bad luck, or do you think uh, the players are pressing a little bit? I think that a little bit of the latter. It's, it's yeah. definitely starting to seep in as as of late. I mean, I think that the the guys pressing on the base half, trying to do too much to play or whatever it is. I think you see guys up there trying to almost do it, play hero. And, yeah. and some of this is also just pouring from this is not a very good fundamental defensive thing, mm-hmm. uh, even as much as they, um, you know, kind of ad nauseum preach fundamentals and talk about the, the, those things. The little uh, things. Little things. Yeah, yeah. The little things, yeah. Uh, make sure I get that trademark correct. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the uh, personnel didn't match to me what they were saying and how good on defense they, could, they were going to be. Now, a lot of fans have been calling for Davey Martinez's job. A lot of folks, even in the national media, assumed he would be fired after the Mets series. Are you surprised that didn't happen? I am not um, because I think that it's not in Mike Rizzo's DNA to want to to, to give up. Mm-hmm. First off, the, the fact that they have um, changed managers as quickly and as often as they have, you know, kind of leaves you in a spot now where you, you there's some pressure on them to make this guy work. Rizzo still supports Davey, and I think um, those who seem to still, by all accounts that I've seen, get along and publicly and privately, Rizzo mm-hmm. has, has expressed his desire and support for him. Um, so I think that, you know, thinking about all those things, thinking about the idea that the Nationals have to pay uh, Martinez's contract out for another year and a half on top of hiring another manager, I don't see them willingly doing that until the point where they're somewhat forced to. I was not surprised that it did not happen on that immediate Friday, but I think we're at a point now where, um, you know, it's, it certainly feels like it's on the horizon a little bit more than, than, uh, than not. Now, I guess, uh, extrapolating that, uh, do you feel as if, uh, Mike Rizzo is on the hot seat or is that just fans, you know, going crazy speculating? Yeah, this is difficult to, um, 
get a real read, get a, a good read on at this point because mm-hmm. that's obviously a, a decision that's going to come directly from ownership. Sure. And um, I, I would say probably not because I think that ownership, essentially, this is everything built about the Nationals in the last however many years. Yeah. And all the Rizzo, and to go to move away from Rizzo is basically moving away from everything you've done. Uh, in the past, you know, almost decade or whatever, or decade, I guess, mm-hmm. since he's been the GM. Yeah. And I just don't know if they would do that um, lightly. Uh, I think it's, it's a pretty, it would be a pretty big step and a pretty drastic change for your franchise if you're willing to kind of make that call. It's, it's hard to say if we've gotten to that point just yet. Yeah. Um, it does not feel like it. It doesn't feel like um, the front office members and everybody's kind of are walking on the eggshells. They don't, they don't seem to be anticipating <laughs> it at this point. Sure. Um, <laughs> Uh, but that's something that I think that, you know, will that, that doesn't seem like a move that'll happen in the middle of the season. That, that's, that feels like something that, you know, if this season continues to go really, really badly and they um, have to kind of launch into some kind they decide to go into some kind of full rebuild, I think that's when you can put those things on the table because I still don't think that they're at the point right now where they are thinking that they're going to be rebuilding and trading away players coming to the deadline. I think they still are wondering and seeing if there's any way and hope they can kind of get back into this thing. All right, uh, that was a little bit uh, from Jamal Collier, and don't worry, we'll be back with him in just a second. Uh, but right now it would normally be time for one of my favorite segments, freaking, tweaking, et cetera, et cetera. But, I, you know, I think with this start to the season, uh, everything's going to be a freak. We can't have anyone freak out out there, okay? We've got to keep our composure. <laughs> and that segment is better served for a team 500 or above. Um, so yeah. right now we're going to do a new segment called Trading Keeping. Uh, this is based on the idea that we're not going to have a miracle turnaround. We're not going to be in a race. It's going to be time to rebuild. All right, Brian, are you trading or keeping Anthony Rendon? I'm keeping. you got to look at the guy next to you. Now I think you're going to see a guy who will go that inch with you. I think... Um, <laughs> You know, you need some kind of nucleus for the future. And I think the team looks a lot better if you can keep Rendon at third and slot Keyboom into second and keep Trey at short. If you lose Rendon, then what? You got to play Keyboom at third and then you're stuck looking for a second baseman again. You know, like it's the season Anthony's having. He seems like a good guy in the clubhouse. Um, you know, I would I would try to try to get a deal done there. Now, obviously, if he's going to harper you and just want <laughs> ridiculous amounts of money, then okay. But I, I think he's actually worth what he's probably asking for, unlike Harper. Rumor is he's asking for an Arenado type deal. Uh, eight years, two hundred fifty million dollars would take him to age thirty seven. Are you keeping him under those circumstances? I mean, it's not my money, so it's easy for me to be like, <laughs> sure. Um, you're talking seven, eight years. You'd hope the team would be, even if we don't do well this year and have to rebuild for a couple of years, you'd hope that in you know three or four years we'd be back to being at least competitive again and you'd like to have a good third baseman. Plus, I think it's just a tough tough blow to the fan base to, to lose out on two of your homegrown stars in two years in a row because you, you, know, you didn't want to pony up the money for them. So... I don't know that he'd get that money on the open market. Yeah, I don't so, think he will. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't, I'm not like in any hurry to get it done. Yeah, I'm gonna kind of split the difference here. Um, if the team is out of it, I'm trading him, but I'm gonna try to re-sign him in the off season. I go up to maybe 180 for him, like 30 million a year for six years. I don't think he's gonna really 
beat that deal in the open market and if i can trade him for a couple prospects uh, have him go away for a couple months and and he'd be willing to return that would be the ideal scenario okay uh next up most controversial idea max scherzer are you trading him are you keeping him i would trade him as hard as that is wow. to say sometimes you have to make decisions that are best for the team i'm sure you can understand that i just bought a house here I think you're already starting to see a little bit of drop off this season. I mean, he's still really good. Don't get me wrong, but he's not the dominant go out and just crush eight innings of one hit ball that he was the last two seasons. And this is the last season you can trade him before a no trade clause kicks into his contract and you'd get a ridiculous return. You got to think, you know, he's still, yeah, it's tough, but I think you got to just be uh, be brutal about it and Game of Thrones him. I, I understand the logic of it, and if this was a video game, if I was playing uh, out-of-the-park baseball or MLB The Show or something, I would totally do it in two seconds and not think twice, but he's the best f***ing pitcher we've ever had, uh, not even close, and he's probably the best f***ing player we've ever had, not even close. He's retiring here, he's going into the Hall of Fame as a national. That means something to me. Um, anyway, uh, that was trading or Keeping. Now back to Jamal Collier. If the team doesn't uh, turn it around in the month of June, uh, do you expect a big sell-off in July? I do. Um, I think that last year, uh, you know, obviously with the, the way the brass and, and those kind of things went down, I think that that, um, you know, I, I think there's enough people that feel like that was a little bit of a mistake. Mm-hmm. I'm not trading away Bryce, especially. Yeah. So I, I think that, you know, Rendon would be the, the kind of logical first guy. Mm-hmm. Um, then the question is, how hard do they go from there? You know, are they willing to dangle Doolittle out there? You know, you probably can get a pretty, pretty good prospect for him uh, for, I think, another year or two of control. And obviously the big one is Max Scherzer as well. You know, you would have to uh, you, you have a revolt probably outside of your out of your stadium. But again, if you think about kickstarting this rebuild and kind of making it more of a retool, similar to what the Yankees or somebody did a couple of years ago. I think that you know, moving Max is is something I think that I would I would consider. I don't know if I would be you know, courageous enough to pull the trigger on it, but you know, you have to think about a realistic timeline of when you think this team will be ready to contend again. Um, and if you don't think it's the next year and a half or two years, I think you should absolutely do it. Yeah. I was wondering if you could tell us if Ryan Zimmerman is anywhere close to returning. Or is it looking like a David Wright type farewell where he returns in September for a final send off? I don't think we're at David Wright's point just yet. Now he was not on <laughs> he's on the road trip with the Nationals at um you know, for this this Atlanta Cincinnati trip. He's he's not there. Um I, I think that we're probably aiming at some point here in the middle of June or maybe late June to get him back. But um I, I do think that that Jim is going to be back at some point, and I think he's going to be kind of back into the role that you saw him back in uh, at the start of the year, where you know he's sort of the primary first baseman and Matt Adams spells him and, and such. But I do think there's a chance, a uh, pretty good chance, that he's going to be back on the on the field here sometime, you know, probably in the next next month or so. This is a tough one. Um, do you think that the Nats are a few players away from competing, and that they're still within their window of contention, or do you think uh, it's time for the organization to uh, move forward and to to really do a rebuild? I hate being so noncommittal to say that I don't know. Again, <laughs> on one hand, I thought this was going to be a good team uh, coming into the year. You know, I thought that it, even even saying that I was on the pessimistic <laughs> pessimistic again, I thought the team would win, you know, eighty eight or nine or, or something games, and and if they would won ninety five games and won the division. You know, handily, I don't think I would have been stunned. So the top, you know, shoot, eight, nine, even eleven deep, the Nationals can stack up with anybody. Yeah. Um, I think where they get beat sort of consistently is the bottom of their twenty-five man roster from twenty to twenty-five, and especially the spots from about 
31 to 40 on their 40 man. Um, did the best teams in the National League just have they're just deeper than them? It is yeah. better in those areas. You know, that's where the Dodgers destroy people. That's where the Cubs uh, have been really, really good. Um, you know, that, that, that I think is where the Nationals really, really um, are behind. I would probably do something aggressive at the mm-hmm. trade deadline where I move Rendon for some prospects and maybe dangle one of the Doolittle Scherzer pieces and see if I can, you know, take uh-huh. a little bit of a step back maybe this year and next year to kind of be ready to go in two years. A lot of the issues that they have aren't going to go away with kind of rescoring with more veterans. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's a long way of saying this. Uh, <laughs> it's a tough question. I, I don't know either. I'm, I'm um, on the fence as well. Now, we're almost out of time. Uh, let our listeners know how they can keep up with your work on MLV.com, how they can follow you on social media. Um, so yeah, follow me on Twitter, um, at Jamal Collier. You can read all my ridiculous tweets and, and things that I noticed throughout the game. Uh, <laughs> if you're into that for some reason, uh, not all my work is up at nationals.com. Uh, and up on MLB.com. Uh, we're doing some things this year that I'm, I'm pretty excited about, hopefully, over the next uh, couple of months. And I'm, I know this has been a, a terrible season probably as a fan, um, but it's been a very interesting season, I guess, to kind of watch <laughs> this team that um, is, is a really a big crossroads right now because I think that you can make the case in both ways yeah. uh, that this team is, is kind of on the brink of, of kind of imploding. And you also make the hate that this is a pretty good roster. They've got a pretty good start. And if you just kind of make some better moves around the margins here, they can be kind of ready to compete again. All right, cool. Thanks so much, uh, Jamal, for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks a lot, man. Anytime. Thanks, Jamal. All right, uh, that was Jamal Collier from MLB.com. Totally different uh, world than us fans live in. Yeah, it's nice to talk to people that are actually around the team every day, interface with them as people and not just ciphers on a screen or on a page <laughs> you know like there's a human there you forget there's a human element to, to this game that that matters and it's interesting I, I you see it this season where you're talking about these kind of intangibles like yeah the team on paper looks good Davy martinez seems like a really great guy he's a nice guy everyone likes him but what is it that's missing you know what is that, yeah. that human element that you can't quantify with a stat that that the team is is lacking this season <coughs> It's interesting. I think the next four to six weeks is going to determine the next two to three years of this ball club. Yeah, make or break month. Show up and cheer loud. All right. Well, I think that's uh, pretty much our episode. I think this is the first one we did ever being below 500. So we're, we're, we're sort of learning as we go. Um, but anyway, hopefully uh, some brighter days and uh, go Nats. Go Nats. Go Nats.